We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hi, this is Luka Doncic. Can he get it away in time on the step back? He does! He hits! He hits! And the Mavericks have won the game! Luka Doncic with a 30-footer to win it at the horn! And you're listening to the Mavs Step Back Podcast. How's it going, everybody? Welcome into another episode of the Mavs Step Back Podcast. I'm your host, Dalton Trigg. And tonight, I'm joined by a former guest on the pod. Uh, he's a Mavs Twitter friend. Uh, we, you all know him as Bobby Corrala. Uh, he writes for Mavs.com and, you know, does a bunch of other digital content stuff for them. So, Bobby, how's it going tonight, man? How you feeling? I'm doing great, Dalton. How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. It's, uh, this is my time of year, aside from free agency. Uh, I, you know, I, I get up for that, too, but uh, they kind of had me on you the side. You get up for free agency like five years in the future. <laughs> yeah. Like Free agency is like year one through ten. Yeah. <laughs> they kind of had me on the sidelines for it this year because I was in Twitter jail for, for all of that, but it was probably for the best based on where the expectations were versus versus what happened, which was still good. You know, the team improved, but, you know, it just wasn't what, everybody had in their in their heads and their their dreams so uh but yeah it, it's a it's my second most fun time of the year because it's the start of the season and like i mentioned briefly before we jumped on here it's that time of the year where if you are super optimistic about the mavs like i like i am most of the time you know you have a lot of um uh, a lot of reasoning for that because it's the start of a new season every team thinks that you know, they have a legitimate shot at making the playoffs or being a contender or whatever, uh, because everybody has a zero zero record. So uh, the Mavs, they they did improve from last year uh, to this year. Luca, he looks like he is in extremely good shape compared to how he started last season. And there's a lot of other factors we'll talk about throughout this pod, too. But I mean, where are you at on the Mavs right now as we are exactly two weeks away from opening night when they play the Hawks? Well, as I sit here drinking water out of my Derek Harper Hardwood Classics cup, uh, Dalton, I think it's it's important to say right off the bat that I'm, of course, a little biased, but um, I'm super high on them. I mean, last season, you know, they got off to a terrible start and we're missing a bunch of guys. And really for the last like half to two thirds of the season, they were really good. I mean, like a top five, top six team in the NBA. So, uh, you know, even though they ended up being fifth in the West, they had the eighth best record in the league you know, gave the Clippers all hell in the first round and and ultimately just came up a bit short. So, you know, from the starting point, it's pretty clear that they're one of those, you know, top eight, top 10 teams. Um, And like you said, I think they got a little bit better. I know fans wanted, uh, you know, wanted another all-star or, you know, one of those like top tier free agency, uh, free agent players or trades or whatever. Um, Unfortunately, you know, that didn't happen, but they did get a couple of good rotation players. Um, both of those guys, Reggie Bullock and Sterling Brown, I thought played really well last night. Uh, Moses had a pretty good training camp by all accounts. Um, so, you know, I think that they're a little better on paper. I think they're going to be a little better on the floor, at least defensively. Um, almost inevitable because, you know, last year they were 19th or 20th in the league in, in defensive efficiency. And again, that's with missing a bunch of guys. And, you know, with Dwight Powell being super limited, KP having no camp. And when your two best big men or two big men that are playing the most minutes are both, you know, struggling physically, you're going to have a tough time. And, you know, both of those guys seem to be back kind of at 100%. So, um, 
know, I think they're going to be a little bit better on defense and, and on offense, it's just about staying just as good. You know, they were eighth or sixth last year or whatever it was. Uh, it was very tight knit, but um, you know, they had a, a really good offense and they had a mediocre to below average defense. I think they're going to be much closer to average, maybe, maybe even above average, um, easier schedule, less demanding schedule, fewer back to back. So there's a lot of external reasons why I think they're going to be better. Um, you know, but it's just a matter of like actually putting it on the floor and making it happen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Reggie Bullock specifically, I know it was separate transactions. He was signed as an unrestricted free agent. And then, you know, the Mavs traded Josh Richardson to Boston and got Moses Brown. But I feel like when they traded for Josh Richardson, we were all pretty much like, oh, okay, I could see how this would work. You know, he should be a pretty good fit and he should have an uptick in his shooting playing next to Luca. But you know, it didn't work out, but I feel like this is a little bit different situation with Bullock because he's already a better three-point shooter for his career than Josh Richardson is. You know, even, even without Luca, he's already a really good three-point shooter. And, you know, he was, you know, Tom Thibodeau with the Knicks, he basically said that he was the heart of the Knicks defense last year too, and he was disappointed that uh, the Knicks weren't able to retain him. So, I feel like when I bring up how excited I am for Reggie Bullock, I I feel like fans, not all of them, but some fans push back and they're like, yeah, well, we said this about Josh Richardson last year, but I feel like it's a completely different situation based on what he's done throughout his career to this point, uh, what he's done as recently as last year with the Knicks. And, I mean, we always have to factor in the, the Luka bump a little bit because it's just inevitable that if you play with Luka, you should – play a little bit better than what you do on a normal basis if you're a good shooter. So uh, what's your thoughts on Bullock, Bullock specifically and, you know, how big of a difference he could make in his first year in Dallas? I mean, he's a huge upgrade defensively. And that's not to say that Richardson was bad on defense last year. Um, but I feel like Bullock is a, a, a better defensive player for this specific system than Richardson was for last year's team because he can be a little more aggressive. And, you know, we'll see if the Mavs can actually – you know, materialize uh, Jason Kidd's plan and put it on the floor. But this coaching staff wants to create more turnovers. They want to pressure the ball more. And, you know, whether it was Richardson's style of play or just the Mavs defensive system last year as a whole, they just did not take really any chances. They didn't get up into guys, try and make them uncomfortable. And Bullock loves doing that sort of stuff. I mean, he'll, he'll hound a guy, uh, cover them all 94 feet. And that's really useful. I mean, you're trying to create turnovers. You're trying to pressure the ball force your opponent, the offensive guy, to make a bad decision. So uh, in that regard, I think he fits better with what they're doing. And he's still a quality defensive player that can defend wings the way Richardson could, but he can defend even some point guards too. So uh, defensively, I think he's an upgrade. And offensively too, you know, from Richardson, he's a significant upgrade uh, from beyond the arc. You know, maybe not quite as good as Seth Curry, but Bullock shot something like, what, 46 47% from the corner last season. And right. That was playing with the Knicks, very cramped floor with Julius Randle and Mitchell Robinson and R.J. Barrett and Alfred Payton, just playing with all these guys, even Derrick Rose, that aren't really spreading the floor and creating a lot of space. And he was still able to feast in the open areas that he was able to find. So playing here, I think there'll be more space, uh, which means cleaner looks, which should mean at least reasonably similar percentages. And, you know, if you have if, – if he's somewhere around 40% um, overall – which I think he was last year, something like 40.5%. Um, yeah. If he can be around 40, Tim is around 40, Dorian's around 40, Maxie's around 40, you know, KP will probably be somewhere in the mid to high 30s, you know, Luke will be somewhere in the mid to high 30s, then all of a sudden they're a top 10 three-point shooting team again uh, in terms of percentage, which is what they were a couple years ago whenever they were the number one offense. Last year they were, you know, a little further down the list, and, you know, we saw them all the way down at like seventh or eighth in offensive efficiency. So, um, you know, I think he helps on both ends of the floor. And, you know, I, I don't want to call him a Seth Curry that can defend a little better because he's, again, he's not quite as accurate as Seth is for his career, but he's still really, really good. Uh, and he's really, really accurate. And he's good enough on defense to more than make up for that gap, I think. You know, Dallas is trying to improve the defense first uh, and improve the shooting second, clearly, you know, with some of the moves that they made. So, uh, you know, I think that they will accomplish both of those things with Bullock. We'll see. I mean, the thing that I'm really curious about with him is, you know, how committed are the Mavs to playing Porzingis and Powell or Porzingis and Colley Stein or Porzingis yes. and big man X? 
Uh, or will they eventually move to KP at the five with Bullock in the starting lineup? Or will that be the closing lineup? Is it matchup dependent? So, you know, I think the number of minutes he plays will kind of de- depend on what role he is, where he is kind of in the pecking order. But no matter what, I think he's going to be a really positive impact player. Yeah, and I mean, I, 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 that was one of the next things I was going to touch on is, you know, uh, there's been a lot of backlash, I guess you'd call it, uh, on Mavs Twitter and Mavs fandom but because it got mentioned that uh, Dwight Powell is probably going to be the opening night starter at center next to KP. And, you know, they – I know it's a different situation because, you know, when they when they started Dwight Powell at center to start last season, KP wasn't back yet, you know, from his meniscus rehab. But, you know, they started Dwight Powell at center and they got off to – I think it was like a two-and-four start and it didn't work. And Powell, he kind of – he had to work his way back. And then, you know, towards the end of the season – you started to see more of that that old Powell. You know, he had he had his legs under him more. Uh, he was, you know, more active. We saw he had that that giant rebound. I can't remember what game it was in the Clippers series, but he like skied over four people and <laughs> got a massive rebound. That was part. It was off of a Tim Hardaway Jr. missed three, I believe, and it got him a second chance. And it was a big reason why they won that game. But uh, a great I addition mean, to your Photoshop collection. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what that dude does during the during the off seasons, but I mean, people say it's Photoshop, Bobby, but it's really not. That's that's his actual (laughs) arms. (laughs) Luca's not far behind him either. I saw that picture he put on Instagram the other day. So uh, but I guess my question to you is how far into this season uh, is that lineup going to stay before it eventually has the, the plug pulled on it? Because I feel it's nothing against Powell. I get it. You know, he, it took him a while to get back. Uh, tearing your Achilles is an injury that's just devastating to so many NBA players, but he's one of the hardest working players in the NBA. If anybody can come back and be close to what, you know, their, their form was beforehand, I believe Dwight Powell can do that. But I just don't know, you know, given his lack of shooting, I just feel like eventually they're going to go back to having KP at the five. And like you said, uh, either sliding Dorian over to a small ball four and putting Reggie Bullock as the as the three, you know, something like that. I feel like it's inevitable. But I mean, what, what's your thoughts on that heading into the season? Yeah, we'll see. I mean, if they play the way that they did last year, and again, you know, a lot of extenuating circumstances last year, but when those two were together, they allowed like 132 points per 100 possessions on defense, which I mean, it doesn't matter if you score, like, if you're the number one offense of all time, like, by a mile, if you're giving up that many points on defense, like, it just is not going to work because you can be playing out of a hole the entire game. Um, But the year before, so 2019-20, year one of KP, they got off to that awesome start. I think they were, like, 17-7. and Um, And then Lucas sprained his ankle, and then he came back, and then KP immediately got hurt, and then KP came back, and the same night, uh, Dwight Powell tore his Achilles. And so – they only played that season, 2019-20, Porzingis and Powell only played 29 games together uh, and something like 400 minutes. So, you know, again, a pretty small sample size, but they only allowed 105 points per 100 possessions together, and that would have been number one in the NBA last season. Uh, I think the number one defense was like 106.8 or 107, something like that. So, right. you know, there is a little bit of history of them being able to play well defensively, but that's a different system. You know, we'll see how those guys play – uh, defensively with under J-Kid, you know, kind of with the way that, that he wants to play. I think offensively, it's not an issue at all. I mean, Dwight Powell is an offensive machine. Porzingis is an offensive machine. Um, you know, Luca is able to take advantage of both, you know, the pick and pop and the pick and roll, uh, switches, no switches, traps. You know, he can make every play, and Powell is a really good outlet in trapping situations because he can make reads with the ball. Uh, you know, if Porzingis isn't really feeling up to rolling to the rim, Powell can do that. If Porzingis wants to roll, then, you know, maybe Powell can just sort of stay on the baseline and the dunker spot. I, I don't know. I mean, they're going to be able to figure it out offensively. But, you know, I think the big question is, can they make it work defensively? And with what I saw last night, it was Porzingis and Moses Brown. It wasn't Dwight Powell, but uh, Moses Brown was like kind of the de facto five on defense whenever those two were out there together. And it was the same when it was Porzingis and Kali Stein. And that meant that Porzingis was playing like the weak side corner on defense, which is, it's just kind of, I think it's kind of tough for him. He's defending in a lot, a lot of space that he's having to cover. He's having to slide over to tag Roman and then recover out to the corner. 
So I think you're asking him to cover a lot of ground defensively where I think he'd be better served around the rim. So what I'm really curious to see tomorrow or, or whenever this podcast gets posted tonight against the Clippers is if Porzingis and Powell play, you know, a meaningful amount of minutes together, is Porzingis the five on defense and is Powell the four? Because Powell is quick enough to sort of step out and play free safety a little bit on the weak side of the play, come in and make a play on the ball, you know, either strip a guy or contest a shot, get a hand in a passing lane, whatever. Um, I think that Powell is better suited for that role. So I want to hold off judgment or whatever on that until I actually see it on the floor. But, um, you know, if they play defense like they did last year, it won't be the starting lineup in November. Um, but if they're able to get some stops, you know, we know that they're going to score like 115, 120 points per 100 possessions when they're on the floor together because they have for two years in a row. And uh, if they can score like that and defend, then, I mean, they're going to win like 60 games and it's not even going to be an issue. But, uh, you know, that's a, that's a long ways down the road. So we'll see how it goes. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of skeptical about it, um, but, you know, I know how good they can be when those two are together and defending semi-well. So, uh, you know, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, and obviously you, you can't overreact to anything in preseason. We saw that last year when Josh Richardson shot like, what, 70% from three, and we thought he was going to be, you know, <laughs> an all-star and everything, and everybody wanted to extend him before the season started. So you got to be careful when you assess preseason stuff. But that being said – uh, you know, even I think when people see Dwight Powell starting at the five, and I, I'm included in this group, you tend to think about it like, oh man, that, that that's really not going to work. But you you don't think about, oh well, they could be swished around on the defensive end. You know, it doesn't have to be, you know, KP playing power forward at both ends of the court. So they can be versatile there. Uh, I know I, I'm a big big Josh Green fan. Uh, and I, I like Moses Brown too, but I really like Josh Green. I really think he he does still have a ton of potential that he didn't get to showcase uh, a lot last year. And I feel like he has an opportunity, a real opportunity to do that this year. For, for Josh Green fans like myself and for Moses Brown fans, what should it tell us that, you know, Green and Brown got the start at those positions in that first preseason game uh, over guys like, you know, Sterling Brown or Willie Colleystein. Is that, is that like a good omen for them potentially getting rotation minutes if they take advantage of that this preseason? Um, well, I don't want to deflate the, the Josh Green hive because I'm a, I'm a big Josh Green <laughs> fan too. But I think it's mostly because, uh, you know, it was Finney Smith and Powell that didn't play against the Jazz, and Kid wanted to see that second unit together, just like he wanted to see the starters together. Like Luca and KP were on the floor at all times, you know, one with the other. Um, so I think he wanted to see Brunson with Maxi and Collie Stein on the floor, those three together with, you know, I think it was Sterling Brown and Bullock off the bench in that second unit. And so I think Green and Moses Brown would have otherwise been third on the depth chart at their respective position, but they got knocked up to number one because Kid wanted to see the bench unit. So I think that, you know, those guys might play like more, I guess, second half minutes in the next game. Now, that isn't to say that that'll be green slot all year. Um, I think the the difficulty when it comes to sort of sorting out those wing minutes is if it's going to be two bigs all the time. Like if it's going to be Porzingis and Powell starting and then Maxi with uh, Willie on the second unit, because then you're really only giving minutes to one through three in the rotation. And Luke is going to soak up a lot of those Hardaway, Finney Smith, Bullock is. And so, and Brunson, of course, those five collectively, you're going to play, you know, they're going to play like 125, 130 minutes combined, something around there, which means there's really only like 10 to 15 minutes available per game to divvy up between like Sterling Brown, Josh Green, Frank Nilakina, Trey Burke, Tyrell Terry, however the end of the roster shakes out. There's not many minutes to be had. Uh, that's assuming everyone's healthy all the time. And inevitably, someone is going to get hurt. Someone's going to miss time. So it's good to have depth. But like on a night-to-night basis, I'm just not sure how many minutes there are for uh, Moses in particular at the big because, you know, they already have four of those guys plus Boban um, battling it out for minutes. And then on the wing, you know, Josh Green is one of like five or six guys, seven guys that are going to be getting those minutes there. And, you know, a lot of them are, are more veteran laden, higher paid than him, whatever. So 
Uh, we'll see. I mean, I, I would love for him to get more run, but at this point, I think it's like him versus Sterling Brown uh, for that like fifth wing, sixth wing um, slot in the rotations, like 10, 15 minutes. I mean, again, guys will get hurt. Minutes will open up somehow, uh, some way along the line. But, you know, for now, I think it's, it's going to be tough for him to crack more than like a 10 to 12 minutes per game role, I think. And don't get me wrong, I, I really like Sterling Brown too. I thought that was a you know under the radar signing because he can be a pest defensively himself, and he had a really good three point shooting year last year too for Houston, and it was like career high volume for him too. So that was encouraging, and you know like like Bullock, he he shot uh, 47 percent from the corners where where uh, Sterling Brown shot around 45 or 46 percent from top of the key threes so uh i think they uh, that's the only thing really holding josh green back in my opinion i think he has the motor uh to be a difference maker in the future if he just keeps putting in the work and takes advantage of his limited opportunities but uh the shooting i, I could see that being you know what what keeps him from having a uh, being a mainstay in the rotation for Jason Kidd. But uh, I know yeah, well, I, I wouldn't mind seeing him get a lot of minutes with the Legends, too. You know, last year that the G League season was so abbreviated, it was in the bubble. They only played like eight or 10 games. Um, you know, I wouldn't mind, especially if he's kind of like on the super duper back end of the rotation, just drive up the tollway, play, you know, play 30 minutes for the Legends. I, I would love that. I think that he needs as much playing time as possible, obviously, as all players do, as all young players do. So, um, you know, that might end up happening this year, too, for him. Yeah, that that was – I was very disheartened when I found out that the Legends weren't going to be part of the G League bubble last year uh, and Tyrell Terry. And uh, I knew Tyrell Terry was with the Memphis Hustle. I know Josh Green went to the G League bubble for a little bit. I forgot if they were on the same team or, or what the situation was, but they both no, had – He played for um... – Oh man, Utah uh, wasn't it? Yeah, the Salt Lake City Stars. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, that's and he was the, he was there with Tyler Bay. They were both together. But I think uh, Bay Hinton played for the Santa Cruz Warriors. They might have both played. They they played for a different team. Uh, one of them played for Philly's team, like the eighty sevens, the Delaware eighty sevens first. But yeah, uh, so but that, yeah, he was the, he was down there with with Utah's team. So that added to the craziness of what was already an insane, you know, year, especially for rookies. But like you said, just having that shorter drive now, you can go and play for the legends and get more playing time. Hopefully that helps with their development. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Bobby, I know this is a hard thing to ask of you after just having one preseason game, uh, but just from a stylistic standpoint, I mean, what what do you what did you catch in that first game uh, where they beat the the Jazz second and third string guys by ten points? Uh, <laughs> what 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 did you see stylistically 
you know, that stuck out that's different this year to last year? Because the one thing that I saw, and I'm not like a professional basketball analyst or anything, but the one thing that I, <laughs> the, the one thing I saw that I really liked is it seemed that they were trying to play Luca a little bit more off ball. Uh, you know, I saw Tim Hardaway Jr. setting a high pick, uh, off ball pick for him, and uh, he ended up getting the ball. I forgot who passed it to him, but he ended up getting the ball off of that uh, pick, and it ended up with a pretty easy and one for him. I feel like that's the kind of stuff where they can, if they play him more off ball, it'll, even though they didn't address what was supposedly one of their main priorities this offseason in, you know, adding more secondary uh, playmaking and distributing – you know, stuff like that could take some of the burden off of Luca's shoulders this season. That plus, you know, if Jalen Brunson goes out and dishes out eight assists per game in 20 minutes <laughs> off the bench like he did in that first game. But, well, stylistically, what's some things that stuck out to you? Yeah, so there's one thing offensively and one thing defensively. Um, but first, about what you were saying about kind of other guys making some plays, Um I asked Jalen Brunson. I put on my recorder, my re- reporter cap. Easy for me to say. Holy crap! Uh, I put on my reporter cap today, Dalton. I went over to the Mavs practice facility and I asked Jalen about that. Does it seem like last night? You're right. Hardaway and Brunson in particular, and then later on, like Carly Jones uh, and some other guys too. If they would get the rebound or if they were the guy to get the outlet pass, like they would just go, and it would be you know they they'd kind of try and break their man down one-on-one super early in the shot clock without really getting into an offense. Uh, And I asked if that was like deliberate or if it was just something that just sort of happened in the game. Uh, And Jalen said that they're kind of like the mandate this year is if there's court in front of you, just like get down there, just push it down the floor. uh, Even if nothing happens, like even if you just sprint into a dead end uh, and there's nothing there, you can always dribble it back out and get set into the offense. Like, but you can't, push the tempo if you're just walking the ball up the floor. So, you know, if you're Brunson, if you're Hardaway, even if you're Dorian Finney-Smith, I'm sure Josh Green, and you come away with a rebound or a loose ball, don't stop and turn around and look for Luca. Where's Luca? Where's Luca? Or wait for Luca to get into the play and then give it to him. Go see if you can make something happen. And if you can't, then find Luca. And that was, uh, that was some of the off-ball stuff that you saw as just ways of, like, other guards bringing the ball up the floor – and then ways to get Luca a good catch. It's not just like, all right, Luca's standing back at half court doing the James Harden thing. No, it's like, Luca, if you want to come get the ball, come get the ball. Like, come off a screen, go find some space so that you can catch it on the move and, uh, and make something happen quickly and easily. So that was one thing I noticed. But the big thing I noticed offensively is off of transition baskets, off of, you know, long threes from the top of the arc, um, out of, like, free throws, Porzingis or Willie Cauley-Stein or whoever the big man was, I think even Maxie did this once or twice, they would just take off down the floor and try and get a really early seal on their man um, for a post-up look. And now very early in the game, like in the first five minutes, the Mavs turned it over like four or five times. Uh, one time trying to get it in the post, a couple times being, you know, just being a little careless with the ball down there. And so it didn't always work out great. I'm not saying that it's like a fantastic thing that they're doing or really like gassing them up or anything. But it is something that they're trying to do, at least for now, is, you know, big man, fly down the floor, park your butt under the basket, get a seal on your man. And uh, if it's there, you know, Luke will skip ahead a pass to Tim Hardaway or Josh Green or Finney Smith or whoever. He'll give it up to a wing who's already down there as well. And we'll see if we can get you an easy bucket. And what you're doing there is you're just stretching out the defense, um, you know, and Luke is skipping a pass ahead to someone else so he doesn't need to bring the ball up the floor. You can sort of get into some offense. Uh, a different way other than just walking it up, you know, taking 10 seconds to get in your set and going from there. So that was one thing I saw offensively. And then defensively, um, it seemed like the big man was playing more closer to the level of the screen, not totally at the level of the screen. And by that, I mean, like, right. you have your big man, you got your guard, uh, big man comes to screen for the guard. Last year, the Mavs played a lot of drops. So like Porzingis would just basically stay in the paint or like at the elbow, like really far away from the action, which was kind of stand there, act times. as a wall. <laughs> What's up? I said, which was infuriating at times. There were times oh, where the yeah. drop coverage, it was just like, oh my God, could y'all please stop for <laughs> <Yeah>, <laughs> just change I mean, it, it up a little bit? 
it didn't really work out, especially against Damian Lillard. I mean, there are guys that can just exploit it. So, um, you know, they're trying to mix it up a little bit more this year. And so what they're doing is coming closer to the screen, not all the way because then you're pursuing, but just stepping out a little closer to where you're, you're kind of in, involved and engaged in the play, make the guy put on the floor. And they're icing these screens too. So the ball handler defender is sort of ushering the, his man toward the sideline or toward the baseline. And the big man is walling off. So they're kind of like, turning two guys into one really big guy, you know, shoving the ball handler away from the middle of the floor. Uh, and so what that does is it forces little pocket passes to the middle, forces the big man to pop, you know, it just kind of, it kind of changes up the way instead of the ball handler getting a clean look coming off the screen, like they would against drop, you really force him to make a tough decision, make a pass or, you know, some, some real creative dribbling uh, to get out of kind of what becomes a soft double team. So it's a different way to cover pick and roll. But what that means is if you're the guy on the weak side defending the corner shooter, you better be ready to come tag your roll or stick with your guy. They're trying to X out a little bit. So the corner three point shooter will then go up to the roll man. And then the, uh, the third defender will kind of like go out to the corner. So basically you're trying to not only limit dribble penetration into the paint, but you're also trying to take away the corner three. Uh, it's very tough to do both if the guy on the weak side is not super engaged and last night KP got burned a couple times, Luca got burned a couple times, like throughout the season and mistakes happen obviously all the time in the NBA, both teams average 120 a game. So like no one's going to be perfect, but um, when the guy on the weak side messes up this year, it's going to be super duper obvious and you're going to be really mad at that guy, but just remember those are going to happen. <laughs> uh, games are long. Games are fast. Guys are tired. Like it's just going to happen, but it's going to be extremely obvious. Uh, but KP, whenever he was the big man defender, he was able to make a couple of really nice plays, including one block on, uh, on Udoka Azubuke that was really, really nice where he sort of, he stepped out to defend. Uh, he and Sterling Brown iced the pick and roll. And then he came back down uh, you know, slid over to, to Azubuke on the roll, got a nice pocket pass, and then stuffed him right at the rim on the dunk. So it, he was really, he looked really good in that role, less good on the perimeter. And so that's why, again, I'm wondering if Powell is going to be the perimeter guy and KP will be sort of the rim protector uh, whenever they're a duo on the floor. So that's one thing on offense and one thing on defense. And I know explaining this on a podcast might not make much sense. It's much easier to see it visually. Um, but yeah, just go to Twitter. I'm sure the Istock or, you know, I talked a little bit about it. Like there'll be some, some people that have, that have talked about it that uh, will be able to demonstrate it visually what we're saying. Man, I, I love his talks work. If I, for those of you who don't know, he, he uh, does a lot of stuff for Mavs Moneyball. And, you know, I've been friends with Kirk Henderson over there for a pretty long time now. And I told him one time, I was just like, dude, that's <laughs> y'all, y'all have a gym there. I love his work. He he will explain stuff in a way that you just can't like every time you read something he does, you go you come away from it learning something. So uh, but Bobby, uh, just this is one I got a couple more things and I'll let you out of here. But uh so Jason I got Kidd, all night, man. We can we can yeah. go all night. <laughs> so Jason Kidd, uh I've you know, he wasn't my first choice uh to be the Mavs head coach, but you know, it happened and I, you know, I accepted it and I, I started to look at the bright side on some, some of it. I can see where he can, you know, potentially better relate uh, to Luca than Rick Carlisle could given the, you know, caliber of player Jason Kidd was and he played the same position and same vision and all that good stuff. Uh, and then, you know, just from an overall morale standpoint, it seems like this team just I don't know they just have a little extra juice to them this year everybody seems like they're having a good time uh you know that can change over the course of a season but you know right now it just looks like the the franchise has just been blanketed with uh with a new sense of optimism and everybody's just having a good time and uh I mean have just from your perspective you know being around the team as much as you are seeing the guys interacting with each other I mean is it really been that big of a difference as what everybody else is seeing from, you know, Twitter and everything? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been night and day, you know, and I'm not trying to take veiled shots at the former coach or anything, you know, I, it's, it is what it is. Um, but I mean, they've had more fun in camp so far than I've ever seen them have in practice, like ever. Um, they're, they're very just, they're energized. Uh, they're competitive, they're intense. And I think kind of like, you know, every sort of era has been different. You know, these last couple of years, the team has 
you know, it's just super young. You know, the, the, the faces at the top of the roster uh, are much different now um, than, in, than in the past. And so they respond to coaching in kind of different ways. Um, but in the, in the Rick era, it really seemed like, you know, a lot of like the, you know, I'm not in practices. I only see the end and I sit right outside the gym while they're practicing. So like, you know, I'm not the foremost authority on this stuff, but a lot of the loudest voices in practice were the coaches, like the, the, the guys that were providing the energy, bringing the energy were like Jamal Mosley, Daryl Armstrong. I mean, these guys are really, they're, they're pumping you up. This coaching staff seems to be a little quieter. I mean, J-Kid, whenever he talks, he like almost whispers. Uh, Igor Kokoshkov does not talk very much. Sean Sweeney, you know, gives out instructions, but he's not screaming. Um, you know, Christy Tolliver, uh, Jalen Brunson described her today as like, she doesn't say much, but when she does, her words carry a lot of weight. Uh, but that's another example of a coach that isn't saying much, you know, it's all of the energy is coming from the players. And so the onus is on them to, to bring the juice, you know, and, and they're bringing it and they're having a lot of fun together and, you know, we'll see what kind of effect and what kind of value uh, just a more sort of optimistic tight knit group can have on, on the team's record. You know, I think it will make some difference. Uh, and, and where I think it really comes into play is like, You've lost two games in a row. You got your third game in four nights coming up. No one wants to play. You know, you're in Sacramento, second night of a back-to-back. You just want to go home, see your family. You know, if you all hated each other, you might just check out and get stomped by 20 and you'll be pissed off for another week. That three-game losing streak can really derail your season. But if you're really tight-knit, it's like, no, we're not going home with a loss. Like, let's rally together and win this thing. And all of a sudden, you finally beat the Kings somehow. You've managed to do it. So, you know, I think it could it could have an impact. But, yeah, I mean, the, the team is just in just a much better mood. It is early. You know, we'll see how it goes. If they start 0-5, you know, I'm sure everyone will be a little more solemn. But at this point, the team seems a much more laid back, uh, much more relaxed, much more comfortable. Uh, and with that comes, like, sort of this natural sort of exuberant confidence that I think can, can, can sort of buoy them through the tough times. Yeah, and like I said, you know – Jay Kidd, he he would he wouldn't have been my first choice for the head coach, but after it happened and he started assembling his uh, you know, his assistant coaches, the rest of his coaching staff, I just kept saying, No, hold on now. Okay, yeah, that's 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 pretty good. I like that. And then by the time it was over with, I was like, Okay, we might have something here. <laughs> so I, I I I'm it's good to know that all those other voices are are being heard early on and you know, the team's just having a lot more fun than you know, what they probably would have had in previous years. So I'm excited about that. Uh, I'm ready to, you know, get the real thing going for sure. But before we do that, you know, they are going to uh, – I'm going to say tonight because this this will post <laughs> on Friday. But so tonight they, they play the Clippers. And obviously the Clippers don't have Kawhi. I'm not even sure if the Clippers will even play like Paul George or the majority of their starters. I don't know what that situation is like. But – just from a preseason standpoint, uh, like you said, it's not really about playing full lineups together at this point. I don't know who's going to be available for the Mavs, but, uh, I mean, what do you see potentially being experimented with or continued from that first game uh, to the second one against the Clippers? Well, it should be the first time that KP and Powell play. Um, J-Kid said today that I think it's, it's Maxi and – Sterling, I want to say, won't play. Uh, and then Jalen is kind of like the emergency player. So the right. second unit will be a little different. Uh, or maybe Maxie and Willie. I don't really remember. But the starting five is going to play. Uh, and so it's our first look at KP and Dwight. And like you said, I'm not sure who the Clippers are or aren't going to play. Um, but no matter who's in the lineup for them or who's out, they typically play pretty small at the four. And so it's kind of our first glimpse of if you're going up against a team that has a big like Zubats, you know, uh, and then a power forward that's like Marcus Morris or Nick Batum, someone like that, kind of a smaller guy. Is Powell on the big guy or the smaller guy? Is KP on the big guy or the smaller guy? So schematically, we'll get our first glimpse at that. Um, and then also, you know, as well, what that means is, you know, if they're playing smaller to KP, what happens? Is he trying to post up? What happens if KP tries to post up? Is Powell on the perimeter? Are they playing spread pick and roll with Powell as kind of the primary guy for Lucas? So I'm curious to see how that sort of three-man dynamic works on offense and then how the KP Powell 
dynamic works on defense, but we're only going to see it for probably 12 or 15 minutes. So uh, whether it's really good or really bad, it's honestly kind of irrelevant how they perform um, or kind of what the score is, I guess, to the game. But what I'm curious to see is the decisions that are made and then do these guys look comfortable doing what they're doing? Like, is, is it at least a foundation upon which they can build or does it just look doomed from the start? It's kind of what I'm looking forward to, to seeing um, at both ends of the floor. And then also, too, I'm just excited to see Dorian Finney-Smith play. Um, you know, I'm, I'm interested to see, you know, what his, what his game looks like because he's kind of changed a, a little bit every year. You know, some years significantly, uh, you know, substantially improved three-point shooter or whatever. Um, I'm curious to see, is he still just a spot-up guy? Has he added any sort of off-the-dribble game? Um, you know, because he can pass it a little bit, he can drive it a little bit, but can he do something just a little more, you know, kind of like how we saw Tim Hardaway Jr. last year, he became just a little more dynamic off the dribble. Um, if you can do just a, it's, it, the margins are so thin. If you can just do a little bit more, then it really kind of changes the, the whole dynamic of the offense because you have this roll man, you have this pop man, you have this all world ball handler, and then you have Hardaway that can create a shot really from anywhere too. If Finney Smith can create a little bit more, then you collectively sort of overcome that need for that secondary playmaker. So um, curious to see how he does. I guess that's like a season long thing. We're not going to probably learn anything about that tomorrow, but uh, that's that's kind of some of the stuff that I'm excited to see. But what about you? I I want to keep seeing if Jalen Brunt and like you said, tomorrow he's kind of an emergency player. But I'm really interested in seeing if he can just blossom into that true secondary distributor you know the you know where you have Luca he's obviously your main distributor and he's gonna average close to double digit assists per game all season long but like who's gonna be that second guy because Jalen Brunson has showed shown us in the past that he can pass the ball I mean he he had some really nice passes last night he threaded the needle through like three guys to Maxi coming around and slammed it and then uh, he had one of those where he was coming up court and kind of blocked off Reggie Bullock's Bullock's man uh, in transition and he hit a three from the top of the key you know stuff like that I want to see if he can sustain that for a full season and you know average more than just three assists per game because I mean, if, if he does that, I mean, uh, the, the Mavs could have really used more of that in the playoffs. And I know it was a bad matchup uh, for Brunson based on his size. Uh, and, you know, the Clippers are super long team and it was really a bad matchup for KP too. And that was all magnified and well-documented, but uh, I would just like to see him take that next step and be the, the true secondary distributor that this team needs, because if that happens, then you don't have myself and especially my co-host, Matt Galatson, who's normally on here with me talking. He is a Goran Dragic super fan, and he has been pining for Dragic since the failed trade <laughs> with Miami in the summer of 2019. So, you know, if something like that happens, then it, it lessens the, uh, the sense of urgency for the Mavs to have to go out and add another guy like that. Obviously, it'd be nice to have a guy like that anyway, especially for the postseason, because Dragic at this point in his career, he's, you know, what people call a 16-game player. You get his best production when it gets to the postseason, but uh, that's where I'm at. I mean, I we all know what Luka's going to do. Uh, we all know what KP is capable, capable of when he's completely healthy, uh, and he had, you know, it's been well documented that he had his first healthy offseason pretty much ever didn't have to rehab anything, and, you know, hopefully he uh, resembles all-star form this year, hopefully. But we'll see how it goes. That's that's where I'm at on it. Uh, but, Bobby, I have asked a handful of people this, and I know, you know, obviously both of us are a little biased, but where do you see this team ceiling in the West? Because, you know, under normal circumstances, the way I feel about the team – I kind of feel like, okay, well, I'm being a little bit too optimistic and people normally have their projections, you know, lower than mine are. But then, you know, you see a guy like Bobby March from ESPN. Uh, he recently said, or he was asked on Sirius XM radio, you know, aside from the Lakers, 
who do you see coming out of the West this year? And he just like, without even thinking, he said, Dallas, <laughs> he said, he said the West is so wide open. He could see Dallas coming out of the West, uh, potentially making it to the finals. Uh, I had uh, Dan Favalli from Bleacher Report. He came on and uh, talked with me for a little bit last week. And, you know, he said the same thing, basically, that he saw the ceiling for this team uh, could potentially be top of the West. So I guess, you know, just from from your perspective, where do you see this current team being? If no other moves are made, uh, the roster stays as is. I mean, what are your expectations for the Mavs this season? Man, um, I mean, if they're not going to go 16-0 and in the playoffs and win the finals, like if I have to come down a little bit from that, I will, but, um, you know, I, I think realistically in the regular season, I think they can be a top four team. Um, I don't know how much higher than that. I mean, you know, a lot of that depends on health for everybody involved, including for opponents. Um, but I think they can be a top four team in the West and, you know, I'm not ready. This is the Mavs employee talking too. So, uh, I'm not ready to say that they can like that they can come out of the West and just breeze through and you know win the whole conference or anything. Um, I think they're closer to where Phoenix was last year in that you know they would they would need some type of like they would need a little bit of fortune you know um, if all teams are at their healthiest like and everyone is firing on on all cylinders you know I, I think Denver maybe Utah. Uh, probably Utah, to be honest, uh, and then maybe the Lakers and maybe the Suns uh, would have better chances, I think, to come out of the West than the Mavs. But I could see Dallas beating any of those teams in a series, especially if they're shorthanded in any way. Um, so I would be I would not be surprised if the Mavs were like a top four, even top three seed in the West. And I wouldn't be shocked if they won the West. But. I don't think that they're like if, if it's not going to be the Lakers and I'm not as high on the Lakers as a lot of other people, I guess. Uh, I, I don't know. I, we can talk about that some other time. But um, if it's not going to be the Lakers, I would say it's probably going to be the Nuggets. I think the Nuggets are the best team in the West. Maybe I'm going to be an idiot and they're going to suck this year, but I think they're the best team. Uh, I think Utah is right behind them and then Phoenix and then maybe the Mavs. Um, so, you know, they're in the conversation. I think I, I, I would be. I would be more surprised if they don't win a series this year than if they win the whole conference. Um, that's kind of where I put that. I think they're very good. Um, I think they should win a series. I think they should go on a playoff run. Uh, are they good enough to win the West? Maybe, um, especially if they get a little luck. So we'll see. I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying not to get too high on them. This is year one of a new coach, but you know, historically across every single sport, teams that make coaching changes – their, their chances to win a title are within the first three years of making that coaching change. Like that is a, a proven rule across every single sport. It's been the case for the Mavs. They go from Nelly to Avery. They went to the finals. They go from Avery to Rick. They won, they won the finals in their, in Rick's third season. So, you know, this is, this is the window for Jay Kidd. You know, if they're going to do it, it's going to be this year, the following year, the year after. Uh, and so, you know, I, I, I think they have as good a chance as many of those other teams in the West to, to win the whole conference. Um, we'll see if they can do it. But in order to get there, you got to make it through the regular season healthy. You got to avoid the plan. You got to hopefully get home court in the first round and you got to win games at home in the playoffs. So there's a lot of steps for them to take to get there. But if they can get to the playoffs in one piece, I think that they have the potential to win the whole conference for sure. Yeah, and I, I know things change from year to year, and there's different 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 teams have different fortunes with their health and everything. But if just looking at last year, all the stuff the Mavs went through, you know, they lost all those uh, players for so many games to COVID, and uh, you know, Luca starting out the season not in the greatest of shape. Uh, they had the KP coming back late from his meniscus, and then trying to work into shape and. Um, you know, then he had the mismatch in the playoffs playing against that Clippers team. But, you know, aside from Serge Ibaka being out in that first round series, you know, the, I mean, the Mavs were basically playing the Clippers at full strength and they were up 2-0. It looked like they were going to go up 3-0. And, you know, that was without having guys like, if you could go back 
and I know this, this is like an impossible thing to do, but if you could just go back and, you know, insert Reggie Bullock or, or Ann Sterling Brown onto that team last year, uh, just as other options they could have gone to, I don't even know if that series goes to six games. <laughs> you know, yeah, I, I mean, I feel like they, pro- it, they they legitimately probably sweep the Clippers if they have if they had this year's roster in that series last year, they probably would have swept. And then you don't know. And I mean, given the last glimpse we saw of the Mavs playing Utah, that's who they would have been playing in uh, the second round. You don't know what could have happened from there. So I'm I'm very optimistic. I know that will come as a shock to nobody. Uh, but I'm very optimistic about it. I think it's going to be a great season. I think we're all going to have a ton of fun. Uh, it's kind of hard not to uh, when you have a guy like Luka Doncic as the face of the franchise. And uh, I'm just – I'm super excited to see what he does in year four. And I think if they do end up getting into the top four of the West, I think he's going to have a good enough season to where he's going to be a lock for MVP. So – I'm very excited to see what this team does. And, Bobby, I appreciate you coming on and talking with me for a little bit. It's always fun when we do this. Uh, it's been way too long since we did it. We'll have to have you on here, you know, sooner than, you know, what <laughs> the gap that passed since the last time you came on. But I really was do appreciate it. Was like Luca's it. rookie season? Was that the last time I was on here? I – Either that or like the start of the second year. It's been a, it's been way too long. <laughs> yeah, it's been a minute, man. Yeah, I'm happy to anytime. Happy anytime. Sorry for talking an incredible amount and doing it very fast, but like you, I'm pretty excited. So I, I got a lot to say, got a lot of takes to fire off, and we're running out of time to do it because this thing is starting very, very soon. Yes, yes, and never apologize for the talking because the people love it. The people love to uh, <laughs> to to avoid work the next day and listen to us talk about the map. So, Bobby, I appreciate it. Uh, guys, go follow him at Bobby Corrala on Twitter. Uh, he's always tweeting out, you know, fun clips during games and giving his analysis and everything. And, you know, go read Mavs.com as well. Uh, be sure to like, rate, and subscribe on all of your favorite podcast platforms uh, to the Mavs Step Back Podcast. Bobby, again, I appreciate it, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your weekend, and we'll definitely have to do it again sometime, man. Thank you for having me, sir. Appreciate you. Rep the map, step back, overcame the setbacks, starting where we left at. No, we got to get back. No, we got to get back. Rep the map, step back, overcame the setbacks, starting where we left at. No, we got to get back. Like, no, we got to get back. Let me step back for a minute. 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 The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com